You people have been chosen to reveal our existence to the world. You will witness what happens here today, and you will tell of it later. This is the second episode to the podcast, St. Longinus' Baptism. Um, this will cover church history. Now, because we're covering um, 2,000 years of history, I'm, I'm not going to do a deep dive. I'm going to try to keep it as brief and as general as possible. Um, it's up to you, the listener. Um, if there's something you disagree with or if there's something you want to look into, you're going to have to, um, you know, do your own research. Um, the, my main, um, source for this is a Wikipedia article and I'm going to give you the title so, you know, you can, uh, you can tell that I'm not pulling your leg. The name of the Wikipedia article is Christianity in the um, Early Period, 33 to 100 AD. So, I'll, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The title of the article is Christianity in the First Century. I repeat, the title of the article is Christianity in the First Century. So, uh, we'll get... We'll get into the sources for this article, and I will make my remarks. But before we get into starting the um, podcast, we're going to do a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. St. Francis de Sales. You set out on an ambitious missionary journey to convert 60,000 Calvinists to the Catholic Church. Though this was a difficult undertaking, you faithfully worked to bring souls to God. Pray for me that I may always seek to lead others to God in his church. Pray that I may persevere against all difficulties and to lead souls to God. St. Francis de Sales, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Okay. So. Um, oh, and by the way, for the history of the church, given the length of it, it's going to run into multiple episodes. Um, like I said, I'm going to try to keep it brief and to the point. Um. But this is this is probably going to run um, over several episodes. I just, you know, I haven't written a full outline for this for this in, entire uh, episode or section, so I don't know how many episodes it's going to run. Okay. The period of church history that I'm going to cover right now is called the early period. And it ran from 33 AD to 100 AD. Basically, Jesus died in 33 AD. And the last apostle died 
in um, 100 AD. That last apostle was St. John, the apostle who wrote the book of St. Uh, the Gospel of St. John, and he also wrote three epistles in the New Testament. He's also known as the um, disciple who Jesus loved. So basically, the first Christians, now, well, I got to give you a little context. Oh, Jesus began his ministry in Judea, which for those of you who are unaware, Judea at that time would be present day Israel. So we're talking that this was a Jewish nation. Okay. Now, at that time, Judaism was the religion of Jewish people. I mean, not that it still isn't. I'm just saying that um, Judaism, you know, was was the main religion. And um, when Jesus preached, he basically um, said, um, there's, there's going to be a new covenant because Judaism is about the Mosaic Covenant, which is this covenant that God made with the uh, Moses and Abraham. So basically, Jesus says, I'm here to make a new covenant, and my new covenant um, is going to supersede the old Judaic laws. Um. Now, he didn't say that directly, but if you read the New Testament, or I'm sorry, the Gospels carefully, he does hint at, you know, that basically this, this was not going to be uh, the Judaism that his listeners knew and understood. This was, this was going to be a, basically a new gospel. Um. Now, if you read the Old Testament, I'm sorry, if you read the New Testament, um, I believe it's in the epistles, and I think St. Paul wrote this, he basically said that the Old Covenant was being replaced by the New Covenant. And basically, when Jesus got crucified for our sins, that he was going to form he was going to form a new covenant with basically everyone. Because if you remember your Old Testament, when God formed his covenant with Abraham and, um, and um, Moses, this was strictly for the Jewish people. There were other, what, um, there were other people outside of Judea, uh, but... God didn't form his covenant. It wasn't universal. It was just for the Jewish people. And by the way, uh, clarification of terms. I'm going to use the word Gentile. Basically, what that means is, is it's, a, it's a Jewish term. And basically, what it refers to is, is non-Jewish people. So if you don't, if you're not Jewish, your parents weren't Jewish, none of your relatives were Jewish, you're considered a Gentile. 
Okay, that's, that's as easy as I can make that expression. So anyway, um, so Jesus got crucified and um, like I said, because this was Judea, basically Israel, um, everybody, oh, the first followers, every single one of them were Jewish, you know, because you're in a Jewish country. All the followers were Jewish. But the Jewish religious leaders considered the, the, the first, you know, uh, Jewish Christians to be heretics. Basically, the whole reason why the Jewish religious leadership wanted to get rid of Jesus was basically they had a teaching, they had a tradition that basically taught that the Messiah was going to come down, he was going to get rid of all the Gentile overlords, um, basically the Romans, and he was going to establish a Jewish kingdom on earth. And Jesus, and you know, despite his miracles, despite what he's doing, and I, I think where they where they um, decided that you know um, he couldn't be the Messiah was because they had this expectation that this Messiah was going to come down, wipe out the Romans, and establish a Jewish kingdom on earth. And Jesus is preaching, no, my, my kingdom is not of this earth. My kingdom is in heaven. And they couldn't, you know, they couldn't wrap their heads around the concept. Or I should say some of them probably couldn't. Uh, I'm, I'm sure some of them didn't want to. They purposely said, nah, nah, nah. We, I, 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 we want a Messiah that's, you know, here of this earth. So anyway, the first Jewish Christians were considered heretics by the Jewish religious leaders. Okay, um, Antioch was one of the first sees of the Catholic Church and, um, now, in the article, it doesn't say the first C of the Catholic Church. It says it was one of the first Christian communities. Um, to me, you know, true Catholics are Christians. So, <laughs> you know, um, anyway. But um, the followers, the Jewish followers of Jesus were called Christians. I was unable to find a year that that started because I wanted to at least give you times and dates and I was unable to do that. Now, as far as the historical Jesus goes, and I'm talking about the Jesus outside of the New Testament, He's mentioned in two his, uh, contemporary histories. In other words, uh, histories that were written around, you know, between 33 AD and 100 AD. And the author, 
the first author that wrote about him was called Josephus. He was a Jewish historian. I can't remember the title of his history, um, but, you know, we have the internet. You could find out what the title of his book, but in his book, he does mention that Jesus actually existed. The second source is called Tacitus. I believe that's how you pronounce it. It's T-A-C-I-T-U-S. And I, I, I pronounce it Tacitus. And he was a Roman historian. And um, he vaguely mentions Jesus in one of his histories and mentions the fact that he was put to death by Pontius Pilate. Now, I'm not sure if he gives the year or not, but I do know he mentions those facts. Um, the, the Sea of Jerusalem, and by the way, when I say sea, I'm basically saying, uh, for my, for my Catholic listeners, a sea is basically a diocese. It's a diocese. For my non-Catholic listeners, basically a sea is a community, a community, um, of believers, but the, the, the Sea of Jerusalem was founded on the Pentecost after Jesus' death. And basically, there were three leaders of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. You had St. Peter, you had St. James, and you had St. John. Um, the Sea of Antioch um, was founded during the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Oh, and just for further context, the history of the establishment of the Catholic Church, um, it's in the book of Acts. And the, the placing of the books, and I will do an episode on the Bible, but basically the, the, the placing of the books in the Bible, you have the four Gospels which cover the ministry and the death of Jesus. And the book of Acts is a bridge into what are known as the epistles. And basically what the epistles are is their documents telling the first Christians, you know, here's... Here's how you need to live. This is what you need to do to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But the book of Acts is actually a history of, of the first uh, 60 years. I'm sorry, it's not the first 60 years. Of the thir first 30 years of the, uh, the Christian history, you know, the, the, the founding of the Catholic Church. And it basically covers the um, from the the death of Jesus, the the execution of Jesus, till the arresting of the Apostle Paul. And I, I know you're going to get some autistic Protestants running around. Yeah, but it never in the Bible it never said. Uh, that Paul or that uh, Peter went to uh, Rome and was executed. 
I will get into the using the Bible as your only source of doctrine in, in a later episode. But f- f- to answer that particular argument, um, even secular historians admit that, yes, Peter did go to Rome and was executed by the Romans. You know, so um, if you're willing to have an open mind, you know, you can find secular sources that will confirm that. Now, in the book of Acts, they talk about the Council of Jerusalem. And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but basically you had you had two factions. You had one faction, like I said, when the first Jewish Christians um, began to spread the gospel, the, the underlying motive was that it was, once again, like the old covenant, it was supposed to be for Jewish people only. So they weren't preaching to to non-Jewish people. And the second faction, which was Peter and Paul, they had been given um they'd been given visions and and leadings by the Holy Ghost that basically said, no, this is going to be a universal church. It's not just for the Jewish people, it's for everybody. And so in the book of Acts, um, it, it gives you kind of the background of, you know, what happened. But basically, it was decided that um, non-Jewish believers were welcome to join um, this new church. And that they were not subject to the old Mosaic laws. Because if you know your Old Testament, you know that um, the Jewish um, the, 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 the Jewish people, they had religious laws that they had to follow. And um, basically it was decided at the Council of Jerusalem that um, non-Jewish people, uh, Gentiles who, who converted to the new church, didn't have to follow the Mosaic laws. That's what they're called, the Mosaic laws. Now, the Jews that were in Judea at the time, um, at least the educated ones, spoke Aramaic and Greek. Now, your average Jewish common person, you know, your, your, your working people and your poor, they basically just spoke Aramaic. The more educated Jews spoke Aramaic and Greek. While the Jews outside of Judea basically only spoke Greek. Um, you know, so... Um, uh, anyway... So, the first Christian creed is listed in the New Testament in the book of 1 Corinthians, 
verses 3 through 41. Other early Christian creeds are in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Romans chapter 1, verses 3 for 4, and 1 Timothy verses... Um, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. Okay. I'm sorry that I made a mistake in my notes. I'm not, I don't, you know, I because of my limitations, I can't go back and I can't re-add this information. So, basically, the fourth uh, creed is in 1 Timothy. Now, it may be the first chapter, verses 3 through 16, or it may be the third chapter, 16 verse. I apologize, guys. Um, mistakes are going to be made. So um, if it's not too much trouble, you can try those two verses. Now, the other Christian sees include Ephesus, Corinth, Thessalonica, Alexandria, and Rome. Alexandria is in Egypt. Um, St. Paul was known as the apostle to the, to the Gentiles. Um, in the era before the 16th century, there was no printing press, obviously, and there were no books. You know, books came about sometime in, um, I want to say, in uh, around the 800s, I believe, around the 800s. But books as we know them, um, they, they came out. Um, they came out around the 800s and, um, they were handwritten. They weren't printed. The printing press was not invented until the 16th century. So basically what I'm saying here is, is that back in the first century, um, oh, and that's another thing. Uh, at that time, they used scrolls and they were handwritten. And the average common person couldn't go to his local scroll maker and, and pop down money and say, oh, I want a scroll of the book of uh, St. John, the gospel according to St. John. Uh, most average believers did not have the money and the scrolls and the later books that did come along were very expensive. One of the blessings of the printing press was that it made books much cheaper that even common people could buy a book if they so choose. And most people at the time were illiterate. They were illiterate. So how they got taught you know, the creeds, the um, traditions of the Christian or Catholic 
teachings was that, you know, um, basically their, um, you know, they would go to church and their priest would instruct them, instruct them on what they, and, you know, and they, they had, they had certain books, you know, basically they used the same books, um, that are, that are the accept, accepted canon of scripture, scripture in this day and age. But basically, you know, they taught from traditions and you got to bear in mind too, at this time, the apostles were still around. So the guys that were doing the teaching, some of them had actually known the actual apostles who walked with Jesus. So they were teaching, you know, the new converts, you know, secondhand, obviously, well, third hand, because you're going from Jesus to the apostles to these, to these priests, but basically third hand what Jesus taught. Um, I want to get into the uh, persecutions. Now, first, the first persecutions, because the church started out in Judea, in present-day Israel, and basically, these were um, started by the Jewish religious um, leaders because they basically considered they basically considered the Jewish Christians to be heretics. And you know, I know there's a lot of garbage about the Inquisition and how brutal it was. I will cover the Inquisition in a later episode. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, I've read about the history of the persecutions by, uh, in Judea. As a matter of fact, St. Paul, um, it's not recorded if he actually um, took part in the killing of Christians. But at the very least, if you read the book of Acts, he was basically running around and arresting Christians so that they could be executed. And he was um, at the execution of the first Christian martyr, which is St. Stephen. So the, the, Jew, uh, the Jewish religious leaders, their persecution of the Jewish Christians... You know, like I said, I've I've read some of the the um, reports. You know, maybe in size of scope. You know, um, you know, before the Reformation, it was the amount of people that got killed was not as high as the Reformation, but I'm going to tell you that it it was it was very bad. It was very bad. A lot of Jewish Christians ended up leaving Judea because it was so bad. Now, like I said, because the persecutions in Judea were bad, and by the way, um, oh, I'll get into that. But so if you read the book of Acts, 
St. Paul and I gave you a list of the Jewish communities. These were all outside of Judea and they were basically under Roman control. And there were a lot of Jewish people in those communities and they did their own persecutions. But the reason I'm bringing this up is, is that St. Paul established these communities and like I said, they were under, they were under Roman control, which means they had a Roman, uh, they, they were in a province that had a Roman governor. And if the emperor gave him an order, well, he's a bureaucrat. He's got to do what the emperor says. There's, there's a reason I'm kind of getting in the weeds here. So, um, in the article that I read, and basically I checked the sources, I checked the books. This was written from a Protestant perspective, so they left it out, obviously. But it didn't give me a date to when St. Peter eventually went to Rome and became leader of the Roman church. But it is documented in the book of Acts that um, St. Paul was uh, arrested in one of these territories and um, basically uh, the Holy Ghost told him, you know, go to Rome because he went before a, a Roman leader. And this, like I said, this is in the book of Acts and the Roman leader's like, look, you know, um, you can stay, you can stay here. You know, we, we can clear your name. And it's some obscurity of the Roman law that um, he could take his case to the emperor. And that's what he has to do. And it's remarked in the book of Acts that the Roman leaders like, I don't understand why he did that because, you know, what he's doing. And by the way, I'm paraphrasing, um, you know, if you expect exact quotations, wrong channel. Anyway, basically, the, the Roman leader expressed his surprise that he did that. So, uh, I believe it was around the 50s that he got sent to Rome and was kept under house arrest. And while he was kept under house arrest, he basically was taking care of the Christian community in Rome. Now... Um, Paul was executed sometime in the early sixties. I, I, you know, the Protestants for all their stupid pride about, oh, well, we, you know, we know everything. And the, this article did not give me a date when Paul was executed in Rome. I had to go off of my best memory, and I know it was sometime in the early 60s. Um, anyway, I want to make this very clear for you Protestants out there. And by the way, I, I met a Protestant at, at where I work at who is laboring under this delusion. Uh, I was kind of surprised that he believed this because he seems, you know, he seems relatively uh, open-minded and smart. But there is a delusion out there that the Romans were Catholic. No. 
And by the way, and you know, nothing to do with the history of Christianity. Pick up any secular history book about the Roman Empire. They were not Catholics. They were pagans. And for those of you who don't know what a pagan is, basically a pagan, um, they, they have multiple gods. They have multiple gods and you have a sun god, you have a war god, you have a god of love, a goddess of love, and you know, there, there are multiple gods. And when they start, started persecuting the early Christians, they did it, and I'm sorry I can't give you the emperor's name, but a Roman emperor made a law that everybody was to offer incense. Um, you know, that was the offering in front of their gods, or they would get executed. And the Christians, the early Christians were such zealots, they were like, no, we're not going to do it. I mean, a lot of them said that. Some, some probably did offer the incense, but a lot of them said, no, no, no. Uh, you guys can get bent. We're not doing it. And so they, you know, um, the, I don't know if it was the same Roman emperor or a later Roman emperor, but he basically made it illegal to be a Christian. And they, the way they executed Christians was, um, I, I would suggest trying to pick up a book about the, uh, the, the, the martyrdom of the early Christians because they would feed them the lions. They would put them on crosses, not necessarily crucify them, but just time the crosses, cover them in tar and light them on fire. Um, there are certain Christian martyrs who, um, got put on what is known as a gridiron. And that, that's where we get the expression for football, American football. But basically a gridiron is, is a, um, is two iron squares, six feet by six feet. And, you know, they, 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 um, they're basically made up of squares and, um, they light a, a huge fire. They light a huge fire underneath these gridirons. And then they take the person that they're executing and they put them between these two iron, um, these two iron, uh, squares. And basically the person dies of, uh, burns, you know, iron gets hot when it's hot. <laughs> And you know, they take a person and they 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 put the two squares on one on top, one on the bottom, and you basically die of burns. Anyway, if you want to learn more about the early Christian martyrs, um, I wouldn't recommend Wikipedia. I would more recommend um, a book. But anyway, so um, now this persecution. Um, the, the reach, the intensity and the scope depended on whoever the emperor was. 
And like I said, I can't remember which emperor outlawed Christianity. Um, but basically, it is a matter of record that the Roman persecution of Christians started sometime um, around the, the, the decade of the 60s, 60 AD. Like I said, the majority, the majority of my sources for the Wikipedia article, like I said, I did check them, and they are pre Protestant and or secular. Um, now, I didn't bother to read the footnotes because I was just trying to write an outline. And like I said, I don't want to get too autistic in the details. But basically, um, the secular sources have no dog in the fight. If they're honest, they're going to admit the Catholic origins of Christianity. Um, if not, they're going to downplay it or ignore it. And that's definitely what the Protestant sources did. I mean, just reading the article, I could... I, I knew before I checked the sources that this, this was written by Protestants because they left a lot of the Catholic origins out of it. Now, uh, there's, this is going to be kind of like part two. And I wanted to, once again, I used Wikipedia article, um, for the Catholic term, or I'm sorry, for for the term Catholic on Wikipedia. Um, I think the name of the article is um, Catholicism or the term Catholicism. I, I don't remember the title, but it, like I said, it's on Wikipedia. The term Catholic is Greek for universal which means it's universal it has universal followers meaning it's not combined like the Jewish religion to Judea it's all over the world it's universal in that way and it's also universal in its teachings meaning if look I'm, I'm just going to wing it here. Meaning like if you're a German Catholic and you move to Italy, the teachings that you received in Germany are going to match the teachings that you're going to receive in your new Italian church. So that's, you know, basically, you know, um, it's, it's universal in its followers and it's universal in its, um, in its teachings. The word, the first use of the word Catholic was used, was used, I'm sorry, by the church father, St. Ignatius of Antioch. Um, I believe St. Ignatius was actually the leader of the church at Antioch or the, the Christian community at Antioch. And it was used in his letter to the, and I'm probably going to slaughter this pronunciation, the 
the Samir. I'm going to spell it out. It's S M Y R N A E A N S. I'm going to repeat that. S M Y R N A E A N S. And this book, or I'm sorry, this letter um, was issued around the year 110 AD. Let me repeat that for you 110 AD. So approximately uh, 60 to 70 years after the death of Christ. You know, um, what is known as the term Catholicity, meaning universalism, is considered one of the four marks of the true church. In the Nicene Creed, it states, I believe in one. Now, for my Protestant buddies out there, it doesn't say 40,000. It doesn't say 40,000. And for my Eastern Orthodox buddies, it doesn't say one and one who broke away. It says one. Okay? Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Now, I know, I know that there's a lot of Protestants that don't understand the Apostolic part. Basically, the truth claims to the um, to be the original church is when they say apostolic, it means that Peter was the first leader of the Catholic Church, and from Peter, all of the successors and all the successors from the other communities. Christian communities that look to Rome as the, the leader of, of their church, um, their leaders, you can, you know, they were founded by apostles and the apostles, you know, they, they anointed their successors. And so when they say apostolic, they're basically saying that, um say in um in 1958 and you live in Nuremberg Germany um they can trace their bishops back to the apostles okay so now <laughs> you know it, you you protestants out there who um you know uh, you don't have apostolic secession. You don't. I don't care what branch you are. I don't care, you know. You do not have apostolic succession. Your churches were founded in the 16th century. Now, I will get into the errors of Protestantism. I'm not doing a deep dive here. So, but, you know, if you if you think your church is apostolic, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. You cannot trace your lineage back to the first 11 apostles. You can't do it.
Okay. There was something on that last point I wanted to make. If I, if I remember, I'll get back to it. Now, before... Okay. So, before the year 1054, which is when you had the Eastern Orthodox and Catholic split, basically, you know, like I said, before the year 1054... Wherever, wherever um, the Catholics practiced their beliefs was just considered Catholicism, you know. There was no East, Eastern Orthodox and there was no Western uh, Latin church. There, you know. Now, in books and in, in, in documents, you'll find, you know, the term Eastern Catholic, you know, basically, the only difference between Eastern Catholics and Western Catholics was um, the Western Catholics used um, Latin as their operating language, and the Eastern Catholics, because they were more toward Greece and Turkey, used Greek as their operating language. So, basically, that was the only difference. Now, there was a split uh, in 1054 and the Eastern Catholics basically called themselves, um, they basically called themselves the Orthodox or the Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, I didn't want to make this, uh, this, this podcast too long because I got a lot of ground to cover, but there are um, the, the the split between East and West is is kind of detailed. Um, so if if you want to find out why there was a split between the East and West, um, I would suggest doing some research. Maybe maybe um, if I get you know a prompting from the Holy Ghost. I may do a uh, an episode on why the split happened. Um, okay. Okay. For the Orthodox autists out there who think that the Greek Catholics, oh. I'm sorry, I lost my training, uh, didn't lose my train of thought, a thought just once uh, something I wanted to cover. Even though the Orthodox Church, um, and they call it the Eastern Orthodox Church, um, you know, they are in schism with Rome. However, there are still Eastern Catholic churches that are in communion with Rome. Um, there are differences between Eastern Orthodox and, and, and uh, Roman Catholics. But basically, um, just so you know, there are Eastern Catholics who are, who are in communion. And when I mean communion, I just mean they, they follow the Pope. They follow the Pope in the magisterium. So they're, they are considered Eastern Catholics. Whereas the, um, 
the Eastern Orthodox, they're, they're, they, they, they will not submit to Rome. Okay. That was the point I wanted to cover. The second point I wanted, or I'm sorry, what I was starting to say for the Orthodox autists who think that the Greek Catholics were a separate church altogether. And by the way, I got into an argument on a message board with an Orthodox who made this very same claim. That's why I put this part in this, in the, in this episode. The, the Greek emperor, you know, basically, um, the, at that time, it was around the 300s, at that time, um, the capital of the Roman Empire was in what is known as uh, Byzantine or Byzantinum. Um, it's, it's in Turkey. It's where Constantino Constantinople is now. But basically, um, the, the Roman Empire at that time was based in uh, Byzantinum. And um, basically, it got moved from Rome. It got moved from Rome. And there's, there's a whole history in that. I'm not going to get into that. But basically, at that time, Rome was considered the primary... C of the Catholic Church, but as far as governmental affairs and stuff went, the, the actual running of the Roman Empire and the seat of the emperors was in Byzantinum. Anyway, the Emperor Theodosius I declared Catholicism as the official religion of the Roman Empire in the Edict of Thessalonica on the 27th February, 380. For you Orthodox autists out there, he declared Catholicism to be the, uh, the official religion of the Roman Empire in the Edict of Thessalonica on 27 February, 380. So, you know... You, you, uh, you Orthodox autists out there, um, you know, you can, you can, uh, have cognitive dissidence and, and claim up and down that you were never Catholic to begin with, but you were, you know, I got this off of Wikipedia, by the way, um, this same bit of information, and I got it off of Wikipedia, I presented him with the evidence, and he ignored it. He ignored it, so. Catholic was also used as a term to distinguish true Christians from heretics. Now, I can't, um, maybe in a later episode, I'll, I'll cover the history of heresies, Heresies, but basically, um, the first heresies, I think, came after a hundred AD, after you know, after the beginning of the first century. So 
the early church fathers, and I, I will cover that in a later episode, but basically the early Catholic leadership used the term Catholic to distinguish between people who were Orthodox Catholic believers and the heretics who were not practicing Orthodox teachings. So, um, and by the way, um, the early church leaders, they're called the fathers and the doctors of the church. Um, these guys were mostly bishops. They were mostly bishops of, um, of the, um, Christian, the major Christian communities of the Catholic um, of the Catholic, uh, it's hard to explain. Basically, these 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 were bishops of major church sees um, in the Christian community that was under Rome that that put itself underneath Rome. And um, yes, I'm going to cover um, who the church fathers were and who the um, who the church fathers were. There, there is a difference be, between being a father of the church and the uh, doctor of the church. But right now, this this series that I'm doing right here is basically going to be covering church history. So, okay, so, um. Just just as a small aside before I close out, um, St. Augustine, the Protestants, <laughs> they have, uh, it depends on the Protestant. I want to paint a broad brush, but my observation is, and once again, I'm coming, um, I have been a Protestant. I was a Protestant for several years, so... You know, I, I, I have a good idea, you know, when I, when I say what I do, but it seems like a lot of Protestants, um, you know, they'll recognize some church fathers and not others. And what I su suspect about that is because some, some church, they all they all emphasize Catholic teachings, but the, the church fathers that, that support whatever heresy they believe, they'll use church, uh, teachings. And, um, and I've, I've had Protestants deny that St. Augustine was a Catholic. I've, I've had, I've had Protestants deny that. But anyway, St. Augustine is a particular favorite of Protestants. And the reason I'm bringing up St. Augustine was when I went on Wikipedia to research to research um, the, the, the origins of the term Catholic, you remember that last part that I just laid out for you where it said Catholic was used as a term to distinguish between true Christians and heretics? 
Well, they listed uh, St. Augustine as one of the um, one of the people who wrote about that, that they used the term Catholic to distinguish themselves from heretics. Okay, guys, um, I just want to say I really appreciate um, I really appreciate your your giving me your time and, and, and your your effort. And um, I want to say God bless you. Um, I pray that you will come to the true faith and may, uh, may God bless and protect you. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. Goodbye. And shepherds we shall be for thee, my Lord, for thee. Power hath descended forth from thy hand. Swiftly carry out thy command. So we shall flow river forth to thee, and teeming with souls shall us ever be. In nomine patri, et fili, spiritus sante.